one of the one of the things you need is you need to be um, in His presence and to have an encounter with God. That's very important. Uh, last Sunday, the focus was on on, on encounter. Uh, man, we had we had a super powerful service last Sunday. Uh, we only preached for about twenty five minutes because we were in this place of His presence, and the presence of God was just so strong. That I mean, it was just amazing. We had spontaneous singing and stuff like that. It was awesome, and we were there forever. True miracle is the kids were quiet as well. That's how you know God showed up that my daughter was quiet, right? And so it was awesome, and, and you, you need times of encounter. Um, those things are very healthy for you. Uh, then you also need fellowship. You need to be around other believers. It's very important. You need to be around other believers. That's why it's important to come to church. It's important to have fellowship. Um, but then the next thing you need is you need teaching. And you can't, and, and it needs to be balanced. Um, we, we, we need a balance of these things. And um, the, the, the teaching is, 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 the teaching sets the stage for you to have a correct encounter. Because what teaching does is it shows you who God is and who you are. And so to be, in, to be a healthy, and then also we want to have itinerant ministries coming through and, you know, people coming through that are not, you know, me or Grant, and they're sharing a word as well, and we have that as well. So our goal here is to, to have a healthy church, amen, and to give you guys a balance because people, people get kind of messed up when they get too focused on one and not focused on another. We, you know, we are strong, we're a church that's also very strong in the prophetic. There's a lot of prophetic here as well. But, one of the, but, but all of that being said, we need a balance. And so, and so today, we're, Grant will be teaching today, and uh, Grant is seriously probably one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. And uh, he is, yes, amen. Yeah, it's all right to celebrate. Come on now. And so um, we're excited about having him. I'm super excited about listening to him. And uh, because, you know, and the cool thing about it is, is if you, if you open up, you need the encounter, but you also, man, you need the teaching as well. And he has a powerful teaching gift. And tremendous things can happen in all of us today as we receive that gift. And so, so coming up here, man of God, let's give it up for him one more time. Yeah. We love him. We appreciate him. He's awesome. We, and you're in 4K today. Yes, so sir. So you get to yes, the sir. camera, man. Thank you, yeah. sir. Amen. Spoiler alert, ain't going to be no 25 minutes today. I got to make up for last week. Amen. Amen. We are going to get started in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 6. Very familiar portion of scripture, but I want to read it. Um... This, this word, this message this morning um, was actually planted in my heart last week with a conversation I had with Dan Bell after service. And, um, and then we got on it Thursday during the Bible study. So it was kind of, roll, the thought was rolling around in my heart throughout the week and I, I knew I was going to share it this morning. But um, then we got on it again during the Bible study. And when, when that happened... Um, when that happened, you know, I went to bed Thursday night, and I woke up, every time I'd wake up Thursday night, I would hear the words, I know a man in Christ, I know a man in Christ, 
I know a man. I mean, it was so loud. It was like it was echoing in the bedroom. I know a man in Christ. And so this morning what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about, we're, we're strong on teaching on identity in this church, but why should you believe what we say you should believe about you? I don't know if I've ever just taught on this. Um, so let's just get into it this morning. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What does Solomon mean by that? Well, listen what he says this gentleman says. He says, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. So, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So, notice it says here, as he thinks in his heart. But primarily when we teach this, we teach it as the thoughts of your mind. But the context is not the thoughts of your mind. The context is the thoughts of your heart. Now, I don't want to get into that. That's that's going deeper than I want to go this morning. But here's what I'm getting to. You can think something in your heart, but it not be a thought, or think something in your mind and it not be a thought of your heart. Okay, so we've been teaching on the heart. I've been teaching on it for the last year, and that's probably going to continue. But... Um, here he gives this, this example. You know, when people quote this, all they quote is, including myself, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's just what we say. But the context is there is someone who says, eat, enjoy this food, but is, in his heart, he's got a, an, a motive that is not pure. So it's saying, be, actually be careful. Because what makes this man who he is is not what he says, but what he thinks in his heart. Or what he believes in his heart, or what he intends in his heart. Here's why I'm getting that. Us people who have a revelation of grace, our foundation is the new covenant, we are really good at saying what we think and what we claim to know. But my concern as I've preached over the last year about the heart is that a lot of what we have is head knowledge and it's not really heart knowledge see because when something gets in your heart it gets a hold of every area of your life it determines how you live it determines how you act it it just determines so much the issues in, in in our churches amongst believers isn't doctrine as much as it's just heart. Because a lot of us have the right doctrine, but we've got the wrong heart. And again, I don't want to go down that road, but but look here, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So listen to me. Um, The heart is the seat of your identity. Now what do I mean by that? I know that sounds really wordy. Here's what I mean by that. There, There are actually two types of identity. There is your true identity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There is your true identity. And that alone is determined by God. Your creator. All right? But that's not enough. Here's what I mean. There's your true identity, but then there's your believed identity. Your life is not going in the direction of your true identity unless it is also your believed identity. So even though God says you're righteous, 
if you go around thinking and believing I'm unrighteous, I'm filthy, I'm worth nothing, your true identity is ultimately of no value to you. Does that make sense? What you believe yourself to be, who you believe yourself to be, is ultimately what is determining the course of your life. Or we could say it like this. There's two types of identity. There is your legal identity. That's how God sees you. But then there's your believed identity. That's how you see you. And listen to me. Every problem in the soul, every bit of anxiety, every bit of fear, every bit of depression, every bit of worry, whatever it is, it is because there is disharmony between your true identity and your believed identity. And let me put it simply. It is because you don't believe who God says you really are. You don't believe you have what God says you really have. Alright, so, so anytime there is a disagreement between these two, internal chaos ensues. Internal chaos is what you will begin to experience in your life. Frustration, anxiety, worry, on and on we can, can go, and even sickness. Now I'm not saying you're bringing things on yourself, but I, I'm just saying that is the power of what we believe. So what we need to do, and, and here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. All the stuff that I've been teaching you about the heart, and Jeremiah and Logan teach you about the heart, it will not work as it should until you believe your true identity. Now I know, we're, I know we, we teach on this a lot. I know we talk about your identity, but listen. To the degree that you still struggle with with that inner chaos, that is the degree to which your mind has not been renewed and your heart has not been rewired to believe who you really are. So what we want to do this morning is I want to help you bridge the gap between how God sees you and how you see you. Does that sound good? Alright, so I know that sounded complicated, but I promise this is going to be really simple. Let's go to John chapter 17 and verse 17. John chapter 17 and verse 17. So Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Now, I'm going to teach on sanctification here soon. I've been promising that forever, and I'm going to. But sanctification is not about your behavior as much as it is about your heart. Sanctification is actually the process where you change the beliefs of your heart. All right? But that's another subject for another day. But sanctify them by your truth. And look here. Your word is truth. So this is Jesus praying for you and I, and he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Now, hear me out. Now, I know we like to go around and say, well, you know, I'm sanctified. I'm in Christ. I'm sanctified. Well, you are, but here's Jesus praying for you and saying, Father, sanctify them. Well, why if I'm already sanctified? Right? Remember, there's a past, present, and a future aspect 
to your salvation. Because you're sanctified now, you can be sanctified. All right? But look here. How are we sanctified? By your truth. And what is the truth? Your word. Now, here's what's really interesting. The word truth in the Greek, I love this. The word truth in the Greek can be translated as reality. So sanctify them by your reality. Well, how do I know your reality? Your word is reality. Your word is what's real. See, God's word is the reality. God's word is the truth. About what? Everything. Everything. And if you... if I, I, I did not tell you guys to go here, but I, I want to go to this real quick. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. So the scriptures are getting started here. And listen what the Holy Spirit inspired the author of Genesis to write. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. So when I hear history that contradicts this, then that's not reality. That's a lie. That's a mistruth. That's false information. Whatever you want to call it. But this is the true history. So in other words, what I'm getting to is this is reality. So you could say it to this degree. Anything that contradicts this is actually just an illusion. I don't care if you feel it. I don't care if you see it. I don't care if you hear it. It's an illusion if it goes against the truth. Why? Because this is reality. All right? This is the truth. So God's word is the truth about everything. And it's important you know that because 24-7, 365 days a year, you have information coming at you from this world letting you know that's not the truth. That's not reality. Whether it's through the news, whether it's through other people, whether it's through the feelings in your body or, or whatever, you're constantly receiving information that is telling you this is not reality. This is not the truth. And we have to be careful because that lie will even sneak in the church if we allow it. And, and we've been sharing on our Thursday night Bible studies, there is this fine balance between... Con combating legalism and combating lawlessness because we don't want to be a legalistic people but nor do we want to be a lawless people well how do, where do I find the balance how do I do that it's actually a lot simpler than you think it's just holding up this book and honoring honoring it to the degree in your heart where you say this is reality this is the truth if this tells me not to do something there's a reason even if I don't understand it. And it makes no sense to me. It says don't do that. All right? You don't always have to go to, well, and then if I do that, I'll lose my salvation. No. Just understand you have a good father, and he's trying to protect you, 
And just like I tell my kids, don't be running up and down the stairs, don't be jumping off of tables, things like that. I, why? I want to protect them. You have a good God that wants to protect you. And he wants to protect you to such a degree that he said, you know what, I'll tell you everything that's good and bad. I'll set some, some parameters, all right? But this word is true. Now, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, and I want to give you an example. And we're actually going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to begin with verse 8. So this is a, a very um, well-known story in the Old Testament. So we are talking about spiritual truths which are recorded in Scripture, they're ultimately the reality. And your reality is not what you see. All right? Second, uh, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. The man of God being Elisha. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he, wa and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Now, I literally just received this from the Spirit of God. The servant here, the, the prophet Elisha here is actually a type of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. He will show you things. He will warn you of things. He will let you know in private of the enemy's plans against you to keep you from harm. That's the value of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right, verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. Now this is just humorous and shows you how dumb the enemy can be. This man knows what you're saying in your bedroom. You think he's not going to know that you've got a plan to come get him? And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, look here, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now how many knows that servant had every right to say, Now this is reality. We are surrounded. Uh, there's only two of us. There's hundreds, thousands of them. The reality is, we're done. We're toast. That's the truth. That's the facts. All right? But Elisha knew a little bit more than the servant did. Verse 16. So he answered... Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I, I just think this is humorous, and I laugh about this. Because I just see the servant going, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And just thinking, no, all right? He's lost his mind. 
And look here what Elisha does. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Ephesians 1, Paul prayed this prayer for the believer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would become enlightened. All right. So, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Again, I'm laughing because I'm just seeing the servant hearing this prayer and going, like, looking. Like, yeah, I still, one, two. And then you look out there and you see the crowd. Right? Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Listen, here, listen, don't, don't throw out the Old Testament because you miss gems like this. Like, here's something I love. The Lord, it's okay. You got people in your life who can't see. Why don't you pray for the Lord to open their eyes? And you know what he's faithful to do? <clears throat> open their eyes. Open the eyes of the young man and he saw. Look here, what did he see? And, he, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, you know... Let's bring this down to this moment in time, right here, right now. It looks like there's, I don't know how many of us that, that are in here. Let's just say 50. I'm just going to throw a number out. It looks like there's 50 of us in here this morning. There are thousands of us in here this morning. Because there are angels that are surrounding this place. There are angels sitting here and protecting us and watching over us and ministering to us. Why? Because we are the heirs of salvation. So the reality is, not that there's 50 people in here, the reality is there are thousands in here this morning. And those who are with us are more than those who are with them. All right. So the Word of God gives us the reality. You know how I know that there are thousands here this morning? It's not by my natural eyes. I do not see one angel in here this morning. But the reality of God's word tells us that the angels of the Lord encamp around those. Encamps around them. They don't leave. They don't move. They don't go anywhere. They move when you move. They go when you go. But they are always encamped around about those who trust in Him. All right, so that is, so we see that, that this is the reality. All right, now what does this have to do with your identity? I'm just trying to get to you. You cannot look at your circumstances. You cannot listen to other people. You cannot look at things in this natural world and determine your identity. But that's what the world programs us to do. You're, you're programmed to make your identity what you do. You're programmed to make your identity what has happened to you. All right? That is not the reality. That's an illusion. Why? Because this world is temporary. And it is everything you see, anything you feel, anything you hear, it is subject to change. But that which is eternal never changes. So... Now we can understand a little bit more why Jesus said, He who believes in me passes from death to life. He passes from the temporal to the eternal. Alright? So listen, your identity, don't look out here. Look in here. Go with me to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1. But now here's the question, and this is the issue. Will you believe what it says about you? Will you trust what it says about you? James chapter 1 verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. See, there's a place for that. Even under the new covenant, there's a place for telling us, telling people that. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay, I'm going to skip because I don't want to... If I stop there, I'm going to plant there. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now look who you're deceiving if you're a doer of the word and not, or you're a, yeah, if you're a doer of the word uh, and not hearers only. He says, so if you're a hearer and not a doer, you deceive your, who? Yourself. You deceive yourself. God's mind doesn't change about you. But your mind will change about you. You will deceive yourself. Deception is the opposite of truth. So I can only deceive myself with something that's not true. Alright? Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he... Now look here. This is the part for years that I focused on. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. And we just ministered on people. You need to do. You need to do. You need to do. And again, there's a place for that. But hear me out. Look here. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes who? Himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now he's not saying that that's no longer what kind of man he is, but he's saying he's forgetting the reflection that he's seen in the mirror. Alright? Verse uh, 25 but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So hear me out. Here's what I want to get to. This is not first and foremost a performance or a deeds scripture. It is first and foremost an identity scripture. Because he says the whole reason the man doesn't do what he hears is because he forgets who he is. And he's using a natural illustration. Listen here. Listen to me. Listen to me. I've not used this illustration in years, and I love it. Um, do you know you have never, ever seen your face? Not one person in here, you've never seen your face. You haven't. You can't. The only way you can do it is take your eyeballs out and turn around and look at you. You can't see your face. It's the only part of you you can't see, right? This part right here, that's it. That's the only part you can't see. So, but, so let me ask you this. How do you know what you look like? How do you know what your face looks like? And how do you know when someone shows you a picture, that's me? You've never seen your face. How do you know? A mirror. At some point, and I know we've got phones and stuff like that now, but at some point you've trusted the reflection you've seen in a mirror. And you've looked in a mirror and you said, that's me. That's what I look like. And now, if someone shows you a picture, well, you know, think about a yearbook photo. What do you do? You go looking for yourself. You know what you look like. Why? You've never seen your face, but you've looked in a mirror. 
So here's, in the natural, you trust something you see in a reflection. So James here is saying, just like you do that in the natural, you need to do that in the spiritual. And he's saying here is actually your spiritual mirror. Now I teach you a lot on spirit, soul, and body. Listen, your body, you're always in touch with your body. Here's what I mean by that. If you ask me right now, Grant, are you hot or are you cold? The answer is I'm hot because it's just rule whoever's up here preaching is always hot. And I'm burning up right now. Yeah, it's, a fan would be great. So, um, but I, didn't ha- I don't have to think about that question. I do not have to think, am I hot or cold right now? I know if I'm hot or cold right now and I'm burning up. All right? Now, your soul is the same way. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. I, if I ask you right now, are you happy or sad, you can answer it just like that. You don't have to sit there and think about it. You're always in touch with your soul. I don't have to sit there and say, what are you thinking about, and, and wait for an answer. If you pause, it's because you're thinking how you can put that in a nice way. <laughs> but you always know what you're thinking. You're always in touch with your soul. But now here's the thing. The most important part of you, and I hesitate to say that, but the most important part of you, why is it the most important part of you? Because the part of you, your spirit, that is connected to God eternally and never experiences any separation from Him, is always in communion and fellowship with Him, you don't know that at this moment. Like You're not in touch with your spirit. So how do I know what's going on in my spirit? How do I know what's going on in my... Tr- in, 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 in my, in my born-again spirit, i got to look in the mirror. And this is the only mirror that can show me what's going on in my spirit. And when he says the perfect law of liberty, listen, the perfect law of liberty, what's that mean? It doesn't mean a certain part of this scripture, a certain part of this book. No, the perfect law of liberty is something that reigns in my heart, and it's how I, not only do I read this book, but it's how I read everything. It's how I watch everything. It's how I hear everything. It's how I look at everything. Because listen, you may not realize it, but this book is your key to liberty. It is. There is no liberty without this book. Well, brother, you know people use Leviticus. Listen, you would not know how to spell Jesus if it wasn't for this book. You would not know there was a death, burial, and resurrection without this book. Right, so this, but this book is our mirror, but the question is, will you believe, just like you believe, if you go back there and look in that bathroom, and you look at, this is what I look like, will you trust the reflection you see in this mirror? That's the question. And James here says, if you will, if you will trust the reflection you see, you know what will happen? You will be blessed in what you do. See, what you do always follows who you believe yourself to be. Always. What you do follows who you believe yourself to be. In your heart. So anytime we find ourselves doing something we know not to do, we're believing something wrong, first and foremost, about ourselves. First and foremost, about our Selves. Now, so you, you, you have to go to the Word. Now, listen, 
Jesus, uh, 1 Peter 2.21, teaches us that Christ is our example. Do you know that this is what Jesus did? Do you know that Jesus got his identity from what was written in the Scriptures? And that man did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He did not have Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians. He did not have the book of Hebrews. He had Genesis through Malachi, but he went to them... And what he seen was himself. Let me show you this. Go to Luke chapter 4. Because here's something interesting. You know, when it comes to Jesus' identity, do you know what we quote more than anything? The voice that came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what's fascinating? Jesus never once quoted that experience as, as proof of who he is. Not one time. Other people did. Peter went and he said, listen now, I heard a voice come from heaven. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we know other people heard it because it's recorded for us to read. So people heard that and they went by that. Jesus did not go by that. He never once brought that experience up to anyone that's recorded in Scripture. Not one time. Why? Jesus already knew he was the beloved son long before he ever heard a voice from heaven say it. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he, being Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now listen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon who? Me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the uh, poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to uh, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love that. It's just like he got up and read some verses. He's like, well, I'm good. All right? And he sat down, and all the eyes who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I just stop and meditate on this stuff. Like, I laugh thinking about this. Like, they're all just like, like, you know, their eyes are big, like, and, and. Now, part of the reason that their eyes were fixed on him is he actually had left a part of the verse off. Because the part of the verse he left off was the part about the day of his wrath. And it's not that he was doing away with that. He was just saying, this is not what, this is not what I'm doing right now. Okay, I've come for this, this part here right now. I'm doing right now. All right? And all the eyes were fixed on him. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what was he saying? So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I am me. All right? So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his house. Listen, I love this. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Listen to me. It doesn't matter what people say about you. If you had went by those people, you would have seen Jesus and said, that's just Joseph's son. But Jesus was going around saying, no, I'm the anointed of the Lord. No, I'm here to heal the sick. 
I'm here to raise the dead. I'm here to cast out demons. I'm here to let the oppressed go free. Right? So Jesus, though, got, they got his identity from what they could see. But he got his identity from what he could read. There is no evidence in Scripture that Jesus was born knowing who he was. There, there's no, no, no evidence of that. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. Now, I don't think Jesus ever ceased being God, but in some way he just, he just turned that off. Or, I don't know exactly. It, just, it was no longer of any... It just the switch, that switch wasn't on. He chose not to, to access that part of him. All right? So he was fully man. Now, fully God, but fully man. And so, but we don't, we don't really believe that. I like how Dr. Jim Richards says, and this is humorous, but he says, you know, most of the church believes that Jesus was a baby in a diaper saying, let me poop myself so they'll think I'm actually a man. No, he was man. How do I know? Because Luke chapter 2 says he grew in wisdom. He was wisdom. But as a man, he grew in wisdom. All right? So they didn't believe his identity. So here's what I'm getting at. Who cares if people don't believe what's written of you? That's not the issue. The issue is do you believe what's written about you? All right? Verse 23 he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And then it says they were going to throw him off the cliff. So what am I getting at? You will upset people when you really believe who you really are. When you don't agree with who they say you are and you only speak who God says you are, don't be upset when you... Don't, don't, don't get frustrated when you upset a few demons. All right, listen. This is, we're going to get to this in a minute. Do you know this is the message that Paul was persecuted for? The enemy, the enemy, the enemy came at Paul. And we're going to read it here in a minute. The enemy came at Paul... Because this was Paul's supreme revelation. All right, again, don't let me get a hold of myself. Luke chapter 24, 44, really quick. Just want to read this one more time, backing up that this is how Jesus received his identity. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, this is on the road to Emmaus after Jesus has resurrected. Then he, being Jesus, said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus didn't just go to the law and see do's and do nots. Jesus went to the law and said, this is who I am. This is who I am. Now, I'm aware 
that the Scriptures primarily reveal Jesus. I've preached that so many times to you guys. But here is the great mystery of our redemption. Whatever is true of Jesus, parentheses, in its humanity, and I have to say that because as soon as I don't, someone's going to message me and say, well, you think you're God. None of us are divinity, right? Whatever is true of Jesus in his humanity is true of the believer. In the, and here's what I'm getting to today. In the Pauline epistles, which is just the, the epistles that Paul wrote, Romans through, you know, Hebrews. Hebrews is debated, but Hebrews is Pauline in nature. It's clearly influenced by Paul. You will find the identity scriptures within them. And the way you find them is you will find the words in Christ, in Him, in whom. Don't just read past that stop because that's an identity scripture. And it's trying to tell you the reality of who you are and what you have. Now, A.J. Gordon wrote a book in 1872. So, you know, 150 years ago. And um, A.J. Gordon was a contemporary of D.L. Moody. Uh, he highly influenced and inspired E.W. Kenyon. But A.J. Gordon wrote a very short book, and, you know, those writers from that time, it kind of reads like poetry, but if you can read that little book, I highly suggest it. It's just A.J. Gordon in Christ. And again, he wrote this in 1872, 150 years ago. Listen to what he said. He said, No words of Scripture hold within themselves a deeper mystery than this simple formula of the Christian life in Christ. Yet great as is the mystery of these words, they are the key to the whole system of doctrinal mysteries. What's he saying? If you can understand in Christ, in Him, in whom, through Him, if you can understand these things, everything else will take care of itself when it comes to doctrine. Because that's the thing. You've you got to line everything up with it. You don't have to throw anything out. You just got to... Where does this fit in Christ? Where does this fit in Him? You don't only do that with doctrine, you do that in your life. This that I'm feeling about myself, how does it fit in with in Christ? What people are saying about me, is that, is that what is said about in Him? If you can get that established in your heart, listen, your identity will guide and direct your life. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we are reading about is what happened to Jesus. In the epistles, we are reading about what happened to you. The Gospels give us the photograph. The epistles give us the x-ray. So you can see a photograph of a broken arm. And you can tell, well, yeah, that's broken. But you need an x-ray to see what's really going on on the inside. So the Gospels tell us Jesus was crucified, he was hung on a cross, he was whipped, uh, he was buried for three days, and he came back alive. But then the Apostle Paul comes along, and he goes back to the Old Testament with his in Christ lens. And he begins to say, when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he overcame hell, I overcame hell. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. When he was seated at the right hand of the Father, I was seated with him. 
Look here. Um, and, and here's something I think is so funny. Go with me to Galatians 2, verse 20. This is something I think that is so funny. Why did Peter comes along and he writes his last epistle? And I think it's so funny. Peter bragging on Paul, but then says, Listen, some of the things he teaches are hard to be understood. Here's what's funny about that. What did Paul say he taught? Christ and him crucified. Now, why would Peter struggle with that? Peter literally seen the Christ, walked with him for three, three and a half years, and Peter literally seen him crucified. So what did you struggle with, Peter? See, Peter's problem was, just like the people in Nazareth, they struggled to see Jesus and who he really was because they smelled that dude. They grew up with that guy. They went to school with him. right? So think about Peter. Peter walked around with Jesus for three years. Like I said, he smelled the man. Now listen, precious Jesus didn't smell like flowers and perfumes all the time. He was a man. He sweated. He stunk. They knew, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be uh, vile or anything, but they knew when the brothers were like, listen, I gotta go to the bathroom. He was a man. And they 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 touched that man, they heard that man, they felt that man. Now they are, I mean, obviously they're aware that, man, this guy, he's perfect, right? But he's still a man, all right? There's no evidence that Paul ever seen Jesus, heard Jesus, or knew Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't find any evidence of that in Scripture. So it took a man who had never seen him, or smelled him, or heard him, or felt him while he walked this earth to see what really happened when he was on that cross. To see what really happened when he was in the tomb. To see what really happened when he resurrected. To see what really happened when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, because it's interesting because Peter will talk about in his first sermon, he says, listen, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he didn't understand at the time what Paul did when Paul comes along and says, and you are seated with him. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. See, the other people up to this point, they could say Jesus was crucified. But Paul went further and said, and I was crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in where? Me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul had learned the power of personalizing what had happened in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what I'm getting to. This verse is actually the key to everything you need. Whatever it is you're dealing with this morning, whatever it is you need, this verse is the key. How can I say that? I died. Are you tempted to something? Well, I'm dead. I die with Christ. You can't tempt a dead man. You can walk up to him all day. You, you want to eat this? You want to eat this? You want this cake? You want, he ain't going to respond. Why? He's dead. So when it comes to temptation, guess what? I died with Christ. 
All right? When it comes to, you know, any situation in your life, listen, it's as simple as asking this. Did Jesus overcome this? The curse of the law came upon him. And part of that curse, you can read about in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Everything, every sickness, every pain, every fear, every worry, every financial trouble, whatever it is, it was part of the curse of the law. And we know that the curse of the law came upon Jesus on the cross. So when he went to the grave, he took your sickness with him. If you identify with him, here's the power, he took your sin to the grave with him. He took your tumor to the grave with him. He took your arthritis to the grave with him. He took your fear to the grave with him. And guess what? When he was resurrected, not one tumor was on him. Listen, but when he was on the cross, don't think about the painting you see. Don't even think about the passion of the Christ as great as that was. Listen, every form of sickness, every form of depression, every form of PTSD, every form of struggle was literally on his body. I agree with Charles Capps. I believe, can't prove this scripturally, but I believe that the reason darkness came over the land was it was God protecting the eyes of the people that were there. That's why. Have you ever thought about this? Why did? From the horrible image. Because the prophet Isaiah said his image was marred to such a degree it didn't even look like a man. Have you ever wondered why he appears to the disciples and they didn't realize who he was? Why? They walked with him three years. Well, here's how I know. It's not that he looked different in the terms of what he looked three years because, listen, have you ever thought about this? Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and the disciples knew who they were. But there's no evidence they talked to the disciples. But for some reason they knew that's Moses. That's Elijah. So apparently Moses and Elijah look like what they did when they walked the earth. Here's what I'm getting at. So he appears to the disciples and they say, you know, they, they don't recognize him. They, they don't even realize it's, it's Jesus. Why is that? The last image they seen, there's no way that was the same man. If you've ever, ever been with someone who dies, and you're watching them die, that will, a lot of times, you know, by the grace of God, hopefully not, but I have experienced that. I've been with someone the moment they die, and my wife will tell you, I would wake up for months after that because it just bothered me. If I could use the phrase, it haunted me. And it took the grace of God to set me free from that. So what I'm getting at is think about that last image they had seen on the cross, and here's just three days later. There's no way that's the same man. There's no way that's the same man. But when you get to the point where you realize anything I'm dealing with went to the cross, and if it went to the cross, if it went in the tomb, then it doesn't belong on me. It doesn't belong in my life. Because Paul would say in Romans 6 that just as he died and was buried, he was raised to, listen to this, I love this, newness of life. So the last image they've seen of Jesus was him with tumors on his body, 
crippling arthritis, the effects of stress and depression and anxiety and fear, the stress of financial, all these things. That was the last image they seen of him, but the next time they seen him, what they see? No tumor. No arthritis. No fear. No worry. No anxiety. Newness of life. And so if you can learn to identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the solution to every problem you have. That's the solution to every problem that you have. Now, really quick, I just want to share this really quick. Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 7. Now, I, want, I just want to say this in passing because, listen, everyone in here this morning, uh, because I know you all, everyone in here this morning is a born-again believer. But I want to be careful because, listen, the, the Scriptures not only give us the reality about the believer, but they give us the reality about the unbeliever. Okay, in Romans chapter 16, now remember, I'm saying the believer's identity is encapsulated in the words, in Christ. All right? Uh, Romans 16, verses 3 through 7, really quick. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Eponidas, we'll just go with it, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicius and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, listen to this, who also were in Christ before me. Now here's what that tells us. Not everyone's in Christ. Because Paul says there was a time when I was not in Christ. And we know he's not talking about before the death, burial, and resurrection because he's saying there's actually two people who were in Christ before I was. Alright? So not only does the scripture give us the reality for the believer, but the unbeliever. And if you're a believer and you're watching this morning, the good news is to get in Christ is really easy. The word baptism. See, we hear baptism and we think water, but that is primarily the word that the Apostle Paul would use to give you an idea of your identity in Christ. And all that word means is immersed. So getting in Christ is as simple as just jumping in the pool. Just jump on in. And then you're in Christ. All right. So what, how do you do that? You just believe with your heart. So, now, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You know what, actually... Let's pass on that because I want to get to where I'm going. So you go to the Word and you see who you really are. Now, how could this be possible? How can I identify with Him? I wasn't there. This was actually something that we've seen in the Old Testament. Now, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, you can read it. I'm going to hurry for time's sake. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 uh, the author of Hebrews is giving the, the contrast between the Levitical priesthood and the high priesthood of Jesus. And one of the things he says is, he's trying to, to, to prove the superiority of the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is the priesthood Jesus has, versus the priesthood of the Levites, which is the priesthood of the law. Don't let me lose you here. And one of the examples he gives is, he says, listen, so Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek long before the children of Israel were given tithes to Levi. And he says, actually, you could even say that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. 
Why? Here's the interesting thing. Levi was not the son of Abraham. If I'm not wrong, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, Levi would have been the great-grandson of Abraham. So with as long as they led, this, we're talking hundreds of years before Levi was even born. But he says, but Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Why? Because he was, listen to the phrase it uses, in Abraham. But Levi wasn't there. Levi w- wouldn't be around for hundreds of more years. But the author of Hebrews says, but Levi was in Abraham. And when Levi gave Abraham, or when Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, it's as if Levi gave Melchizedek a tithe. So just as Abraham was blessed for giving a tithe to Melchizedek, Levi was blessed as if he had been the one who gave the tithe to Melchizedek. This is powerful. Listen to me. Give you, let me give you another example. David and Goliath. We all know that story. Israel is shaking in their boots of this one man. And then David comes along. He's representing Israel. Goliath representing Philistines. Goliath, or David, takes down Goliath. And then suddenly, it's so interesting. Suddenly it says the children of Israel pursued the Philistines. This was the same group that just ten minutes ago they were shaking in their sandals over. But here they are. Why? Because they knew David's victory was their victory. So here's what those examples teach us. Jesus' victory is your victory. His death is your death. His burial is your burial. When He overcame, you overcame. When He sat down, you sat down. When He received authority, you were given authority. This is what it means to be in Him. Even as He is, so are we in this world. Philippians 4.19, here's an in Christ scripture. He'll he'll supply all your needs according to His glory in Christ Jesus. And people will bring up Jesus' humanity as if that's an example of what you can expect as far as provision goes from God. He did not say that He will supply your needs according to Jesus' poverty on earth. He says He will supply your needs according to His riches in glory. Jeremiah talks about this all the time. The streets are paid to go there. There ain't no poor Jesus in heaven. He ain't poor no more. Now, now, poor Jesus isn't the one that you look to to supply your needs. Rich Jesus is. The one who sits on a throne. The one wearing a crown. The one who walks on streets paid with gold. That's the one supplying your needs. And what's the qualification? In Christ Jesus. You're in Him. Your identity in Him. Now, I'm not going to talk about that one. Um, So here's what I want to get to, though, really quick as we close. Here's the most important thing. What do you say about you? That's, That's where this gets important. And that's where this gets practical. Because what I've given you so far, you can just take, yeah, I know that. Yeah, i got some, got some scripture now. I can back that up. No. What do you say about you? When you fail, what do you say about you? 
When you blow up, what do you say about you? When you lack, what do you say about you? When you're sick, what do you say about you? See, because here's the thing. I've been teaching a lot on the heart, and, and we, I've, I've taught you guys that the way you write on your heart is with your words. No one's words influences your own heart like your own words. You can hear Jeremiah teach it every Sunday. You can hear me teach it, Logan teach it. You can hear your favorite minister on TV every day or on your phone every day. Their words, now they can impact you, but they will super impact you when those words that are true become your own. Because your words are affecting your heart more than anyone else's words. All right, Let, just think about this. Think about the way that Jesus talked about himself. I and my Father are one. Do you talk about yourself that way? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we think that's a deity scripture. That's not a deity scripture. That's an identity scripture. So you can say, you that, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Will you be bold enough to speak that way? And he went as far as to say, he said, listen, what you hear me speak, I'm only speaking it because I've heard my father speak it. Will you, will you discipline yourself to, to be this way? I only say about me what my father says about me. I only speak about me what he would speak about Jesus. Now, is there a time to deal, to be accountable? Is there a time to deal with behavior? 100%. But it's always tied to, that's not who you are. And we talked about this Thursday night Bible study. Never underestimate the power of just saying out loud, that's not who I am. That is not who I am. Well, how do I know who I am? In Christ. In Him. In whom? Through him. Through whom? Listen to this. A.J. Gordon again in that same book. He said, there is no parallel. Parallels never meet. While the very glory and mystery of the believer's life is that it is one with the Savior's and inseparable from it. So, here, let's get to the heart work. How do we get this reality? What's the reality? Who God says you are in Christ, in Him, in Him. How do we get that to become our believed identity? How do we get that in our heart? First thing, meditate on it. That you will not benefit from anything you do not meditate on. Jesus taught that in the parable of the sower, and I've taught that a lot to you guys. Jesus uh, plainly says in Luke or excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verse 24. The word bears fruit in your life as you think on it, as you ponder it, as you meditate on it. I don't look at that as a formula any more than I look at this morning. I got in her car, I started the, I turned the key, started the ignition, put it in reverse, backed out of the garage, put it in drive, drove to here. I, don't, I didn't look at my kids and say, kids, now this is the formula to how to drive a car. I didn't do that. But you know what I do know? That's how a car works. This is how the heart works. Whatever you are meditating upon is what you are planning in your heart. Whether that's fear, worry, anxiety, you know, whatever it is, or the promises of God. The in Christ scriptures. 
So in other words, whatever you're saying and thinking about yourself, that's what you're writing on your heart. So the way you put something new on your heart is you need to begin to think, ponder, meditate upon who God says you are. Philemon verse 6, we talk about this verse a lot. Philemon verse 6. Um, this is really how heart work works. That the sharing of your faith, now this isn't an evangelism scripture, this is, this is like an impartation of your faith, may become effective. So the issue is not do you have enough faith, the issue is is your faith being effective. And it's not about an amount of faith, it's about how, just how, have you activated it. Well how do I activate it? By confessing enough scriptures, by praying enough, by reading. No, now you need that, those disciplines will play a part. But it becomes effective when you acknowledge every good thing. Every good thing. Every good thing. If you struggle with your identity, it's because you meditate and you acknowledge the bad things in you in Adam. But when you acknowledge the good things, which is in you where? In Christ Jesus. It's when you acknowledge, here's the principle he's teaching us here, whatever you acknowledge in your life, it becomes effective. And it does not become effective in your life until you will acknowledge it. So you meditate upon it, but then you acknowledge it. What do I mean? You speak it. Jesus did not go around thinking, I and my Father are one, but keeping, keeping his mouth closed. He went around to other people, I and my Father were one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only, I'm only saying what I hear my Father say. I'm only doing what I see my Father do. Right? Jesus spoke it. He, he consistently affirmed who he was. And he, where did he get that? From Scripture. So you need to continually speak who you are. And like Dan was talking to me last week, it does no good in those moments to call yourself a knucklehead. It does no good to call yourself a dummy, to call yourself an idiot, to call yourself stupid, to call yourself, enter it in, whatever it is. It does no good. And those are actually the moments when you need to say, I am righteous, I am holy. I am prosperous. Right? Those are the moments when you need to acknowledge every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where we're, we're closing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And remember, I told you that it was, it was in my spirit really heavy Thursday night. I would wake up all through the night. I know a man in Christ. That's actually scripture, and I, I knew that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, in this letter, Paul is having to defend his apostleship. And so here's what he's talking about. Now, verse 2. I know a man in Christ. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Now, here's what's fascinating about this. Almost every scholar, almost every Bible teacher agrees that the person he's referring to here, and you can see it in the language, he's referring to himself. 
Well, you can see that in the text. You don't need to know Greek. You don't even know anything. Just look here. Whether in the body, I do not know. Or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. How he was caught up in the paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So how would he... He, he went as far, This is how you know he's talking about himself. He's like, listen, I don't know if this person was in the body or out of the body. I couldn't tell. He didn't say he didn't tell me. He said I couldn't tell. So he's talking about himself. I don't know if I was in the body. I don't know if I was out of the body. All right? Now, but look at verse 5, how he begins talking. He says, of such a one I will boast. Who's the one he's talking about? I know a man in Christ, and that man I will boast in. But of myself, of just Paul, Saul of Tarsus, I will not boast. Look here. Except in my infirmities, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Now here, listen to this. I love this. That word truth, same word, reality. I will speak the reality. You have got to learn to speak the reality. What is the reality? I know a man in Christ. I know a woman in Christ. That's the person I'll boast of. And not boasting in the sense that you're better than anyone. It's not that. But that is the person that has the good things in them. Because Paul would go, listen, you know how he said he said acknowledge the good things which is in you in Christ Jesus? Well, then in Romans 7, he says, I know that, that in me, that is, in parentheses, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. This right here, there's nothing good in Grant Fraley. But Grant Fraley in Christ is a 10 out of 10. Grant Fraley in Christ is healthy is prosperous, is delivered, is taken care of, is provided for. I lack nothing in Christ. Now you want to talk about in the natural? That's a different story, but guess what? I'm only going to speak the reality. And the reality is in Christ Jesus, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm justified, I'm sanctified, I'm provided for, I'm healed. That is who I am in Christ. That is the man in Christ. Christ. And listen, people get nervous when you start talking about speaking the word. Do you know how I keep this in balance? I've never struggled with this stuff, and it's probably because I didn't come out of what some of you have came out of. I only speak what the word says. I don't go around saying, well, Lord, now, I confess that I'll have this mansion, and I'll have this mansion, and it's going to have all these. I don't do that, but you know what I do? I do. Father, I thank you that all my needs are met. I thank you that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I thank you that he became poor so that I might become rich. I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I only speak what the Word says. And any, anything I, I speak, it's always got to be in line with the Word. It's always got to be in line with the Word. Why? That's the reality. That's the truth. 
of who I am in Christ Jesus. So now listen to me. I want to make this practical as we close. And we're, we're about to, if we can go ahead and start getting music ready. Um, I want to make this practical for you. And I want you to begin spending time. And if you're in the church chat, um, I'll send the document out. I had, I had, had them here years ago. But there are over 130 in him scriptures in the epistles. Now, don't get overwhelmed and think, oh my gosh, you're saying I've got to memorize 130 to know who I am? You only need one. You only need one. Which one do I need? The one that the Spirit quickens to your heart when you read it. The one that when you read it, it comes alive. The one that when you read it, it's like something in you jumped out and latched onto that. That's all you need. But you need to begin to spend time meditating on those scriptures that say in Him, in whom, in Christ, through whom, through Him. And like I said, there's over 130 of them. And just begin to, to look over them. And as you do, like I said, let the Spirit of God quicken one to your heart. And when it does, do not let go of that baby. I mean, man, I will meditate. Everything I have overcome, I have overcome through a verse. And I know people don't like that. But everything I've overcome, I've overcome through a verse. And what I mean by that is, listen, any situation we've ever faced as a family, what I've always done is, let's say, for example, our son Jord, when he, when he would get sick, I would get healing scriptures, and I would begin reading them. And I would just read them. And sometimes I'd just read them and nothing would happen. Okay. But then sometimes, and most of the time, what would happen is one would finally jump. And when it would jump, I would hold on to that thing. I would usually take a sticky pad and put it in the, write it out and put it in the front of my Bible, and that was the only thing I would speak about his situation. If you all know the story, when he was on a ventilator in Denver for 30 days, the, the verse that the Spirit of God quickened to me was he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. That's all I spoke over him. Father, I thank you that you always cause Jordan to triumph in Christ Jesus. So that's the way I've overcome everything in my life. Everything. Now, sometimes you just know the general character of God. I'm, you know, I'm just telling you how it operates with me. All right? But let one jump out to you, and then you need to meditate upon that thing. You need to ponder that thing. You need to imagine it. You need to see it as being real in your life. You need to feel it. This is the way fear works. You don't get in fear of something until you feel, until you feel the fear. You don't get, when, when, if you get a bad report, what makes you scared is suddenly you start seeing a funeral, you start seeing your family left behind, and all of a sudden what happens? Your feelings start going chaotic. Right? Faith works the same way. That's something that's taking place in the heart. So you need to ponder it. You need to imagine it. You need to meditate upon it. So what is it that you say about you? Begin to notice that. And whatever it is, listen, and it's not important, I've told you guys this, it's not important that you identify the lie as it is important that you identify the truth. What is the truth that you need to speak? That's what's important. 
And you will find that in Christ, in Him, through Him, through whom. All right? Does this bless you guys today? So, and listen, when you find that verse, remember what I said, and you begin to speak it, personalize it, just like Paul did. I believe Paul spent a lot of time meditating and seeing himself on the cross with Jesus. Seeing himself in Hades, overcoming every demon, every scheme of the enemy. I believe he meditated of seeing himself sitting on the throne with Christ Jesus. Why do I think that? Because that was the revelation that was always beating in his heart. I mean, that's all he spoke of. Even when Peter and the boys was like, what's he talking about? Like, what? I don't even, did you, did you catch a word of that? And James and John, John's like, hmm. John's like, well, I got the part about love, but that's about where I stopped. Right? They struggled with it, but Paul, man, it was, it was just reverberating in his heart. And that's where we need to get. We need to get to that place where the truth of what God says about us is just echoing in our heart. We need to get to when we wake up in the middle of the night, we hear, I know a man in Christ. Amen. Amen. So if we could get those lights, and um, I, wanna, I want to... Uh, play some music, and what I want to do with you guys is this is the way, and we can start the music whenever you have it, this is the way, and if we need to stop the live stream, feel free to do that, yeah, stop the live stream, because they'll, yeah, they'll copyright us, um, or get us in trouble for not having it copyrighted, I guess, uh, anyways, um,